insightful podcasts by informative hosts. Insights into Things, a podcast network. Welcome to Insights into Entertainment, a podcast series taking a deeper look into entertainment and media. Your hosts, Joseph and Michelle Whalen, a husband and wife team of pop culture fanatics, are exploring all things from music and movies to television and fandom. Welcome to that sudden intro to <laughs> Insights into Entertainment. Episode 151, Indie Strikes Back, the Disney Fire Sale. I'm your host, Joseph Whalen, and my rested and relaxed co-host, Michelle Whalen. I don't think I changed that from the last one. I don't, I don't think so. I think you, I think you kind of left it. Because you were very busy today. I don't think you're rested and relaxed. No, I am not. How are you doing today, dear? I am doing well. How are you? Doing okay. So we finally, uh, we had some... Uh, I guess entertainment news that was worthy of talking about. True, true. Um, anything else exciting happened since our last podcast? Mm, I can't think of anything. I don't even remember. Yeah, well, it was only a few weeks ago. Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't, that, wasn't long. that long ago. No, I don't think anything I really. I think things have been kind of teen. Yeah. So they normally are for us. So usually, yeah. usually, thankfully. Mm-hmm. We're uh, not at Comic Con this week. That's San true. Diego, that, so. Yeah, we didn't we didn't go out to San Diego for that. We don't have any conventions coming up anytime soon. Do no, we? because the last one uh, fan expo we actually decided not to go to. Yeah. Uh, so I think the next one coming up is I think there was a Zolo Con fall thing, and then RetroCon Retro is the Con. one that comes in uh, September. So I don't I don't think there's anything in the summer lineup for us. Interesting. That's that's usually our season too. To yeah. Do. Yeah. But, yeah. When a good one comes around, we'll we'll cover it for everyone. Absolutely. So with the writers and actors on strike, box office numbers struggling to rebound after the pandemic. And missteps from streaming costing studios billions. What could Hollywood possibly do to save the day? Maybe have a fire sale. Make some money, or at least that's what Bob Iger's looking to do. But before we see our heroes on the picket lines or unemployment lines, we first saw them on the silver screen in Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. And we've got our thoughts on that and more coming up on this episode of Insights into Entertainment. But first, I'd like to take a moment to invite our listening and viewing audience to subscribe to the podcast. You can find audio versions of this podcast listed as Insights in Entertainment. You can find audio and video versions of all of our podcasts listed as Insights into Things. And we're available anywhere you get a podcast. Google, Stitcher, Podbean, Pandora, wherever. I'd also invite you to write in. Give us your feedback. Tell us how we're doing. Give us suggestions on what you'd like us to cover. You can email us at comments at insightsintothings.com. You can catch us on Twitter at insights underscore things, or you can find links to all that and more on our official website at www.insightsintothings.com. Are we ready? Sure. Let's do it. 
So how not to handle a strike? So everyone knows that the, the actors and the, and the writers are on strike right now. It's kind of hard to miss the talent strikes happening across the entire entertainment industry at the moment. First, the Writers Guild of America went on strike in the name of fair wages and protections against AI encroachment, which I thought was kind of interesting. Uh, we didn't think AI was going to be destroying the world so through, soon through, or through that method. <laughs> right, right. Uh, and then just recently, the Screen Actors Guild of Amer uh, Screen Actors Guild and the American Federation of Television and Radio Artists (SAG-AFTRA). Boy, that just rolls right off the tongue, doesn't it? Sure does. They joined them shortly afterward yes, on the picket did. line. So who are they fighting? So they're fighting the Hollywood studios, represented by the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers. The producers are the bad guys. Depending on your point of view, I guess. In most cases, yeah. <laughs> so what's what's particularly curious about all this is how the Hollywood studios seemed to invite a strike, and then once they got one, they did everything in their power to inflame it even further. So this spring, it's uh, in blah. This spring, it seemed like some Hollywood studios were actively itching for a writer strike. Speculation about why exactly ran the gamut. Maybe it was a you know, to save a little money on in the short run on shows the writers of uh, Writers Guild was were part of, um, but more obviously, it might be to secure the least costly compromise on issues like residuals and transparency about viewership. So, as discussions broke down between the two parties and the SAG-AFTRA representatives were seeing a majority of their demands rejected despite a nearly unanimous strike vote, a deadline story quoted unnamed executives detailing a strategy to bleed striking writers until they came crawling back. Further inflaming the issue were comments from well-known Hollywood executive Bob Iger of Disney saying, there's a level of expectation that they have that is just not realistic, and they are adding to the set of the challenges that this business is already facing that is, quite frankly, very disruptive. Iger may have succeeded in looking like a cool, calm, and collected voice of the studio, but he actually opened a can of worms that simply egged on the SAG-AFTRA president, Fran Drescher. Her response was one that was up there with a battle cry, uh, motivational speeches like that of which Hollywood has historically been known for. We are the victims here, she said, marking the start of the actor strike. We are, we are being victimized by the very greedy entity. I am shocked by the way the people that have been in this business are treating us. I cannot believe it, quite frankly, how far apart we are on so many things. How they plead, uh, plead poverty that they're losing money left and right, then giving hundreds of millions of dollars to their CEOs. It's disgusting. Shame on them. They stand on the wrong side of history. 
And this was a very funny meme that kind of popped up where, you know, the woman we all thought would lead the rebellion against the machines <laughs> and, you know, the woman who actually ended up leading the rebellion against, you know, the yeah, machines. That is, that is very funny. Yeah. So Barry Diller, who is the chairman and senior executive of IAC and Expedia Group, and a former Hollywood chief suggested that the studio executives and top earning actors take a 25% pay cut to bring a quick end to the strike and help prevent the collapse of the entire industry. It's worth noting that at this time, the motion picture industry is still struggling to recover its box office numbers, which are near, uh, nearly half of, half of what they were pre-pandemic. It's also worth noting that in their haste to capitalize on the streaming bandwagon, many companies are in the red. Disney, Peacock, Paramount Plus, uh, HBO Max, Discovery Plus have reportedly lost a combined 18 billion since 2020, which begs the question, can either side in this strike really afford it? Yeah, I think that the... The sad thing here is obviously the fans are the ones that are going to be losing out right. in general. Right. You know, the last time we had this, you know, it was back in the 20 aughts or whatever when right. the strike was, we wound up getting a rash of reality TV. Well, and, and the one, I guess, positive is there's been such an influx between all of the different streaming services that have so much original content content that's already there so if nothing were to come back for a little while there's plenty out there it's just that you're not going to get anything new so anything that people are waiting for like a new season of stranger things or, or new things um you know that are on regular broadcast television that's what's going to hurt Whereas, you know, somebody like a Netflix or, you know, all of these other streaming services, they're probably not really going to be hurting because there's so much content that probably the average person hasn't gone through everything in the catalog yet. Well, and, and that's also a good point because even Disney's getting to the point where their exclusive streaming content they're going to be releasing on network television. They have already announced right. they're releasing the Miss Marvel series. Right. That was never intended to come out on network television. Right. And I think there was something else from HBO that was going right. to be released on, you know, so that's how they're kind of balancing. OK, well, we have enough on our streaming, but what are we going to do on broadcast? OK, well, now we'll start doing a little bit of this to to make it happen. So, of course, inflaming all this is the wage disparity between executives and the actors and writers who make up the union workforces on strike. So just to put this into perspective, the average pay for top Hollywood executives climbed an average of 53% from 2018 to 21 to 2021 up to $28 million annually. And to put that further into perspective, you've got Bob Iger of Disney who makes 31 million. Of course, he just renegotiated. So he's making actually, he's going to be making a million, but his incentives put him up back up into the 20s. You have David Zaslav of Warner Brothers, who is compensated $39.3 million. Ted Sarandos of Netflix gets $50.3 million a year. Brian Roberts of Comcast is $32.1. Bob Backish of Paramount is 32. 
and you have Tim Cook from Apple at the top at 99.4 million. Now, granted, Tim Cook, you know, Apple does more than just streaming. Mm-hmm, right. So there's a lot more going on there. So you could probably take, you know, 60% of that out, and he'd still be in that third of the 40 million just for the streaming side of things. Right. So to contrast that, we take a look at the Writers Guild of America and what their average writers make per year is about 250000 and, and that's probably on the high end for... That's average. That's, okay. that's what your average writer okay. makes. And your average SAG-AFTRA actor makes about 40000 That's what blew my mind. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, that average is low because you have the top 1% talent. Right, that make $10 million a movie or right. something. Yeah. Well, more well, than well, that. Well, yeah. So... Taking a look at the top talent, you've got Tom Cruise, who in 2023, which is about half over, Mm -hmm. has taken in over $100 million. You have Will Smith, who took in $35 million just for his Apple TV Plus show, Emancipation. Now, that's a real slap in the face. Ah, That was funny. (laughs) You have Leonardo DiCaprio, who brings in $30 million or more per project, as does Brad Pitt. You have Dwayne The Rock Johnson, who routinely brings in $20 million per project. Now, I'd certainly like to smell what The Rock is smelling <laughs> compensation-wise. <laughs> Even Will Ferrell, who I'm not a big fan of him. I know a lot of people like him and think he's funny. He demands about $20 million mm-hmm. per project as well. So the 1% of the club, really, they're the, the bulk of the actors right, that are in, right. involved here. Your extras, your your bit parts, your your... Character actors, the people that aren't your big Hollywood stars, right. they make up the bulk of the union. Right. And they're making an average of 40000 a year. Well, and some of them aren't even making that because in order to get benefits through the union, you have to be making a minimum of $24,000 a year. And there are so many... And I agree. That That's why these numbers are average numbers. That. Right. So obviously no, I get it. I you get got it. people making more, you got people making less. And there was actually, uh, you know, something that I saw that said where you had about, you know, if they took 25% off the top, and there was something that I saw that even said 2% of the top executive salaries. So 2% would be like nothing. Nobody right. would notice. But basically everybody that's in the union would be able to get coverage because of just that two percent off the top for everybody now what is interesting was i just saw uh briefly an article i didn't read fully but there's uh one of the movie studios a24 that they actually met all the negotiations so anybody that's actually working with a24 with their production team they're not striking because they said, okay, you want more money? Here's more money. The actors, you need more money. So they went, you know, all of the demands that were asked for between the actors and and the writers, they met them. So those people are working. Right. So, yeah. So the vast majority of Hollywood really is made up of starving actors who Mm -hmm. live paycheck to paycheck. Yep, yep. Now, being the person that I am, I want to ask the question, why not just go get a real job if if you're not making it, it making it in acting? I understand that's a lot of people's dream, right? But if you're living paycheck to paycheck and, and you can't meet make ends meet, 
maybe it's time to go get another job somewhere. And in a lot of cases, they do have other jobs. They are doing other things. Have you you ever considered a career in truck driving? And I don't mean to sound (laughs) callous about it, but, you know, if you're not, like, if I wanted to be a doctor and and I'm a failed doctor and I can't do it, I'm not going to keep trying to be a doctor. I want to go do something else. Right. You know, if, if, and in this case, it's the industry, you know, the industry's not treating you right. If I work for a company and that company mistreats me, doesn't compensate me fairly for my work, doesn't provide benefits, I'm going to leave and go somewhere else and do something yeah, else. I know. Uh, and, and many people do. And, and you see that time and time again where, you know, unfortunately, the paparazzi are now, you know, in the age that we're in that everybody has a camera on their phone. You know, someone will go to the grocery store and, hey, aren't you, you know, so-and-so, you used to be on television, now you're bagging groceries. And you get belittled for going and earning a, an honest living and, and doing that in some cases. And, and you know what, this, that, that stems from caring what other people think. Oh, absolutely, you. absolutely. And that's where I think a lot of people, they try and, okay, well, if I can't, be on the screen. Let me see if I can do behind the scenes and, and do something. So you see that too, where people try and, you know, get into production or set design or, or something to kind of. Or you turn into Kevin Sorbo and you just troll people on Twitter when you're <laughs> not a successful actor. Yeah, that too. So. So really what this, what the strike boils down to is two things. One, it's salaries. Mm-hmm. Really, it's, it's three things. It's salaries. Because of the of the disparity between, and I don't know why you would pick on CEOs. I think the problem you have is that when you compare yourself to a CEO and you're an actor, the value that you lend to the to the franchise at that point in time is on a completely different measuring scale than what the CEO or what the executives bring. It's like you, you're comparing apples and oranges. Mm. So I think that's a problem right there that you're you're comparing yourself to that. The other one that they have is um, residuals from streaming. Right. So the problem that you run into here is traditionally the studios are usually two or three steps behind technology. You know, right. they missed the ball on VHS and got screwed on that. They missed the ball on DVDs because they tried to encrypt them and they got screwed on that. So they kind of got out. This is the first time in, in decades that they got out ahead of things. Mm-hmm. And they got into streaming, and it was supposedly successful, even though they're $18 billion in the hole because they invested so much money in it. And the problem that you have is the the previous contracts didn't – streaming exploded so quickly – Right. You couldn't have it in a contract before. Well, and, and really it was because of the pandemic because everything really changed it, in some respects. For yes that. and no. I mean, Netflix was a streaming juggernaut well before the pandemic. Right, right. Everybody saw that. Right. And, and was shocked that Netflix, because everyone had their content on Netflix. Mm-hmm. True. Everybody was shocked at how well Netflix did. And Netflix did so well because they just poured money hand over fist mm-hmm. into original content. Right. They were in the red for years mm-hmm. producing content. Right. Just to get it out there and get subscribers in. Mm-hmm. So you had technology explode and the industry's trying to catch up to it now. You're also dealing with the industry at a very fragile state now. 
your ticket sales, your box office ticket sales are about 50% what they were pre-pandemic. You've got streaming services that are hemorrhaging money to the point that they're pulling back on projects now because they can't afford to keep making new content. So to strike now when the, when the industry is at its weakest, to a certain extent, I think Iger's right in that it's a really bad time to do this because you're really going to hurt the industry. What's going to happen here is they'll resolve this strike, obviously, at some point in time. But how many people are going to be out of a job mm-hmm. because you're going to have studios that are cutting budgets back because of the losses they're already incurring, plus the losses that they're incurring because of the strike? So you may see as much, I've seen speculation up to a 30% cut in the workforce in the industry. Is is that really the union benefiting its employees at that point in time? Where, okay, you can get your 20% raise, but you're out of a job now. Mm. Good luck finding a job at that at that rate. Yeah. So it's a double-edged sword. Mm-hmm. And then finally, the third one they're complaining about is AI. Now, AI, there's a couple of different aspects of AI. One is the writing. Mm-hmm. You know, you can go out and have some AI system write a script for you. The AI that's out there today isn't good enough to write a Hollywood script. Right. Because all it does is it parrots what's out there already. Right. So you're not going it, to – it's good to help supplement or to start or, or, or whatever. It's mm-hmm. not going to replace writers. Right. So that's an irrational fear mm-hmm. right now. The other fear is deep fakes. Right. Where you've got industries where you can produce somebody else's likeness. Mm-hmm. Well, there's already laws for that. You don't need to have something in your contract. If somebody uses your likeness, like you can't make Indiana Jones without Harrison Ford. Right. You can digitally reproduce them, and, and they did. They de-aged them, and they digitally reproduced them. Mm-hmm. But if they did that without Harrison Ford's permission and involvement, he would have sued them. Well, and I think that's what a lot of these background actors are concerned about who are on that bottom level is that they're going to go in and do something and there's going to be something in the contract saying, you know, oh, we now own your likeness and it's going to be, you know, hidden somewhere. And then they can still do that. There's nothing that says they can't do that. So you need to have an agent that's going to well, read the contract that's for That's the thing is that they're trying to protect to make sure that's not something that's added on because it's now so easy to, to do. But but that's not something you can expect to to use as a bargaining chip in a negotiation for a strike. That's something that's a negotiating point when you ne- negotiate your contract. Mm-hmm. So make sure that your agent and your lawyer know how to look, read a contract. Right. So I'm, I'm kind of hesitant on giving them credit for that one here. But salary-wise, I'll totally give you that. Streaming. Yeah, we saw we covered the um, the blah, blah, blah. what was the one with uh, her studio where Disney didn't want to pay her. Oh, um, Scarlett Johansson. Scarlett Johansson. That yes. was the kind of the start of everything. Right. So Disney basically engaged in a contract with her that said they'd pay her a certain percent for ticket sales at at the box office. Right. Then the pandemic hit. And they've released it streaming. 
Right. And they said, oh, but we don't have an agreement on streaming. And they pretended as though they could just do whatever they wanted with it at that point in time. Right. When in reality, you didn't have an agreement for streaming. Mm -hmm. So you legally have no rights to stream it. It's not that you don't have to pay me for it. Right. So they wound up settling that out of court, though. Mm -hmm. but, but that's another, you know, instance of how streaming, they just, it's so new that the industry doesn't, it's falling over itself now to try to figure out what to do with it. Right. So anyway, we're going to take a break. We're going to come back and we're going to talk about Disney's fire sale. We'll be right back. For over seven years, the Second Sith Empire has been the premier community guild in the online game Star Wars The Old Republic. With hundreds of friendly and helpful active members, a weekly schedule of nightly events, annual guild meet and greets, and an active community both on the web and on Discord. The Second Sith Empire is more than your typical gaming group. We're family. Join us on the Star Forge server for nightly events such as operations, flashpoints, world boss hunts, Star Wars trivia, guild lottery, and much more. Visit us on the web today at www.thesecondsithempire.com. So welcome back, everyone. So how much would Disney go for in a fire sale? Probably outside of our, uh, our <laughs> price range. But in a recent interview for Squawk Box, conducted by David Faber, held at a media conference in Sun Valley, Idaho, uh, Iger's, uh, Iger's made some volatile comments he's since been trying to walk back from. The initial questions revolved around the impact of the writers and the actors' strike, but quickly moved to business matters that may have revealed more information than Iger was originally intended to go public at the time. During the interview, he indicated that ABC and its local stations may not be core to the Walt Disney Company. The interviewer speculated about a possible sale, and Iger said, we have to be open-minded and objective about the future of those businesses. Bloomberg reports that uh, with cable television on the, de on the decline, Iger wants to sell most of Disney's TV assets, mainly ABC, Freeform, and FX. Well, Bob Iger had made it clear that he's looking to sell some of the company's TV and streaming assets. Rumors have been swirling for months in the industry that Disney may even be considering selling the entire company. Disney's streaming services have been losing money and subscribers. Disney lost 4 million subscribers last quarter. Streaming is expected to have hit a total loss of $800 million in the third quarter. According to Bloomberg, Iger wants to completely sell or restructure Disney's TV and streaming business in India, where Disney Plus has had its biggest losses. Disney Plus Hotstar, the region's version of Disney Plus, lost streaming rights to Indian Premier League cricket matches, leading to the service losing 3.8 million subscribers in quarter one 
and 4.6 million subscribers in quarter two. Despite the recent setbacks, Iger looks to double down on streaming with his plan to hold on to Hulu. Disney will launch a combined app for Hulu and Disney Plus later this year. Though Disney will more than likely have to buy 30, Comcast 33% stake in Hulu in 2024. So experts speculate that selling Disney's TV networks could get them about $8 billion, which could help offset the cost of that last third. Potential buyers would be financial entities like private equity firms. Iger also wants to hang on to ESPN, but is looking for a partner for a sports network. Potential partners include sports companies and Apple. Speaking of Apple, there have been rumors since Iger's return last November that he will sell all of Disney to the tech company. At the time, Iger called these rumors nothing more than speculation, but the sale still seems to be a possibility. Bob Iger isn't known for selling. During his first tenure as Disney CEO, he acquired Pixar, Marvel, and Lucasfilms, which have all proven successful purchases. According to Bloomberg, TV generated 35% of Disney's revenue, about $24.8 billion, prior to the COVID-19 pandemic, and over 50%, $7.5 billion of its operating income. Contrast that against the massive losses from streaming, and it's a bit of a head-scratcher as to why he'd want to keep the loser and sell the winner. Disney Plus was Iger's baby before he retired the first time around. Launched under his part-time successor, Bob Chappick, it met with initial success despite its surprisingly discounted monthly rate, but quickly started hemorrhaging subscribers, failing to offset the high costs of their premier productions. It's also worth noting that Iger got his start not just in TV, but in ABC. When the Walt Disney Company acquired ABC in 1995, they acquired Iger, and he worked his way up to the CEO of the entire company over the next decade, finally landing the top spot in 2005 after Michael Eisner was ousted. Iger was CEO until retiring in 2020, but returned to the position in November 2022 after they kicked Bob Chepik back out. So what do you think? Do you think selling it off piecemeal is worthwhile? Or do you think they should sell the entire thing at one time? I don't know. It's kind of interesting. So it, it kind of reminds me of the um, documentary that we watched on Marvel and the history of, of Marvel and how that went. And you kind of see how, okay, you had Marvel and they weren't doing well. So they sold this entity to this where this to this one, this to this one and this to this one. And then while it worked for them, it kind of made a mess of things because you had this company that could do this and this company that could do this. But if you had this company that wanted to do something joint, they couldn't without trying to jump through hoops to pay all these other people. So if you were to do that, I could see that kind of happening with Disney where certain things with Disney would succeed. And then I think certain things with Disney would kind of fall flat if you, you know, just kind of sold it off to the highest bidder, you know, to, to do one or the other. ESPN, does that need to still be with Disney? I think ESPN could go anywhere. Like there's not enough crossover with 
ESPN and anything else with Disney. Okay, so Disney, you know, down in Orlando, they have the wide world of sports. That's really the only kind of tie-in between well, that the was two. ABC, though. Right. So, you know, so I don't, I don't really see an issue if you said, okay, we're going to sell that part off to, to somebody else. You know, the network TV stuff, I guess maybe you could kind of let that go to somebody else because right now there's a partnership because every now and then there'll be, you know, a, a Disney movie or something. And then, of course, they tried with the whole Disney Plus thing with uh, Dancing with the Stars. The last season of it, instead of putting it on network television, they only had it streaming on Disney Plus and they saw their numbers go down. So what are they doing this season? It's going to be back, you know, on regular television and then they'll, you know, put the episodes on Disney Plus after the fact. So, you know, kind of going back to how they were. So I don't know. It's kind of a a mixed bag. I obviously <laughs> I don't want Apple to buy them just because I'm anti Apple, but that's just me. Um but then again, maybe, you know, Apple getting into it, maybe We'd see things get updated in the parks and, and things like that that haven't, you know, that have been neglected over over the years. So I, I don't know. I'm kind of. Well, and I think you raise a couple of very good points. One being the things that he seems to want to hold on to are the ones that are the most lo- most logical to get rid of. Mm-hmm. And the ones he's saying he wants to get rid of are the money makers that are the most logical ones to hold on to. Mm-hmm. Like, like, yeah, ESPN can be parceled off and sold off either on its own or to somebody else and have zero effect on Disney whatsoever. Nothing's tied to ESPN. Why Disney even has it still is amazing to me. But ABC, Disney has, has been, ABC has been their premier broadcast network for decades now. Mm-hmm. You know, it's been there for special events it's been there for uh, special releases it doesn't make sense especially considering it's making money and it's making a lot of money apparently so why would you get rid of that so these statements from him almost seem like false flags to me like he's throwing stuff out there he's testing the waters and seeing what kind of reaction he's going to get is somebody going to make him an offer what kind of offer are they going to make He's also not talking about selling off anything other than streaming and television right now. Right. So you've got production studios. You've got all your all your intellectual property that he's still holding on to and not talking about selling. You've got your parks that he's got that he's not talking about. So I think what they're running into is streaming. They went about it wrong. Mm-hmm. When they went into streaming, they went into it. Unlike everything else Disney does, they went into it on the cheap. Right. The price that they released their streaming service at was a fraction, literally 50% off of what every other streaming service was. And the production value that they were putting into it, which shows like the Mandalorian and everything else, they were spending a fortune on it. They Mm -hmm. were making essentially feature-length movies in each of those episodes and spending a lot Mm -hmm. of money on it. Yeah, yeah. So it almost sounds like it's... It's a little bit of regret on how they launched their streaming. But I think it's it's almost him trying to shake up 
the the industry try to shake up the executives at, at Disney to realize that there's a there's a awakening coming and something mm-hmm. has to give. He's not going to be there that much longer. Right. I don't think there's enough time for him to start selling off assets. Right. Even with the contract extension he just got. So I think what he's really trying to do, since he's renegotiated his contract and he's looking for the incentive bonuses, is he's trying to kick people in the pants and get them moving to get some money so that mm-hmm. he can get his bonuses. Yeah. I would be shocked if they sold off anything in the next two to three years. What do you think? Yeah, I I think you're right. I think it, it's, again, testing the waters, seeing what's out there, seeing, you know, like, hey, I might be interested in selling, you know, the Louvre. And, oh, how much are you going to give me for it? How much, you know, how much is it worth to you? And kind of seeing, okay, where's that going to put me at the end of the deal? Well, and that's the you thing. Know? Like, so if somebody comes in and starts speculating and saying, I'm going to give you $5 billion for ABC. Mm-hmm. You have any idea what that's going to do to their stock price? And all he's trying to do is boost the stock price. Mm-hmm. If he can do it by, you know, basically doing what Elon Musk does, going out there and saying stupid stuff <laughs> to, to change your stock right. price. Right. That, now that's, that works, too, as long as the stock price goes up and yeah. it stays there. Yeah. You know, if he, if he, I think he's trying to generate this idea of value. Mm-hmm. Like, I know what we have is valuable. I want somebody else to tell me how valuable right, it is and tell right. the rest of the world right? so that people realize how valuable we are. Sure. So I, I just, I think it's a lot of bluster right now. I can see that. I don't, I'll be honest with you, I'm an Apple person. I don't want to see Apple acquire Disney either, but that's just me. So anyway, we're going to take our second break and we'll be back with our review of Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Insights into Teens, a podcast series exploring the issues and challenges of today's youth. Talking to real teens about real teen problems. Explore issues from braces to puberty, social anxiety to financial responsibility. Each week, we talk about the topics concerning today's youth. We look at how the issues affect teens, how to cope with these issues, and how parents, friends, and loved ones can help teens handle these challenges. Check out our video episodes on youtube.com backslash insights into things. Catch our audio versions on podcast.insightsintoteens.com or on the web at insightsintothings.com. So Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. I'll give you my state, my take on it first, and then you can give yours. So I went out and did a little bit of research to see what the critics said, and Roger RogerEber.com's review of the hit of the movie hit the nail on the head when they described it as never boring but never really entertaining at the same time. Overall. It was at about the level of a streaming miniseries that's probably where it would have been best showcased. It wasn't worth a big screen adventure, and it certainly wasn't worthy of capping off such an illustrious series. But that phrase, in fact, I think has to be drawn in the question. 
when only two of the five movies in the franchise are illustrious and exceptional, should we really be looking back so fondly on, in the Indiana, on the Indiana Jones franchise as we do? I think it's more nostalgia than anything else. But let's take a deeper look at the movie, without giving away too many spoilers. So hands down, and, the, and we'll take a look at the series real quick too. So hands down, the best movie in the series was Raiders of the Lost Ark. It lit the spark for the franchise, and it reinvigorated the entire movie genre going forward. Uh, when we get to the Temple of Doom, it's a mediocre uh, show showing with a weak cast, limited sets, lackluster special effects, and an uninteresting story. But it was a sequel, so expectations were low. We get to The Last Crusade, and it was an absolute masterpiece and dispelled any doubts about sequels being subpar. It recaptured the original spirit of Raiders, and it gave us what we thought would be, at that time, a fitting end of the saga. Especially the name, Last Crusade. That would have worked. Then we get to Crystal Skull, a movie that had such potential, so many opportunities to do the right thing, and seemed so deliberately self-sabotaging to make us cringe at the thought of watching it again. Because I did. We, I, I sat down and watched mm-hmm. them all with our daughter because she hadn't seen them all. Destiny of Dial, a Destiny of, the Dial of Destiny, sorry, the Dial of Destiny. <laughs> See, it's not even a, a memorable title. The Dial of Destiny falls somewhere between Crystal Skull and Temple of Doom. It wants to be a classic indie adventure but lacks the inspiration. Much like the previous failed movies... The object of the adventure is a weak plot point pulled from a known existing museum piece combined with a plot that pushes it beyond the realm of believability. And that's where the movie loses me and so many other fans is they push it to the point of ludicrousness. And it was just flat. It had no emotion. It had no... No oomph. It felt old and tired and weak. I mean, granted, Harrison Ford's like 97 now or something He's like that. 81. <laughs> There's only so much oomph you can get from the man at this point in time. But for 80 years old, you know, he's not. You know, sitting in a nursing home, you know, drooling in a corner. So you gotta, you gotta kind of. Give him, you know, credit for that, I guess. So what are your thoughts? Okay, so I didn't, I don't know. I think I'm kind of in the same boat as you. It was, you know, it definitely wasn't one of the better, but it definitely wasn't at the bottom where, you know, Crystal Skull was. I know when we went and saw that in the theater, we kind of left the theater going, really? That's where you went with it like okay so you know so going into this it was like okay they they have to do something better and they did so it was definitely better um and again interesting little plot twist that that you kind of have going on with it you know again was it realistic well you know some of the stuff that happened in raiders really wasn't realistic it was supernaturally so you can kind of go okay every movie kind of has that aspect of some you know 
make-believe magic thing, you know, going on. Um, you know, there were some some touching moments. There were some sad moments of it. You know, the one thing was like <laughs> everybody that Indy is meeting up with is, is getting killed off. You know, you have somebody you're like, yeah, I'm going to help you. But, oh, you're dead. Oh, I'm going to help you. Oh, you're dead. It's like nobody help him. You're going to die. <laughs> Haven't you learned your lesson? <laughs> um, you know, so that was kind of interesting. You know, the bad guy is a bad guy, but you you know, he's trying to make things better for bad guys is really what, you know, what it comes down to and and the little things that go back and forth. But yeah, in, in some cases it kind of felt flat, but he's also 80 years old. So yeah, the fact that he's kind of tired and, you know, the the one premise behind it is he's getting ready to finally retire from, from teaching. And it's like, great, now I can't retire because now I got to go across the world and, you know, try and look for this last, you know, adventure. Um, you know, so it, it was, again, it was definitely, it kept moving. There weren't too many slow parts. But like, you know, they had said in the review, it was like, okay, there was so much going on, but yet nothing was going on. Like, did you need to have all of that? Right. It was just make busy stuff. Right. It didn't drive a plot or anything. Right. I mean, they would have been better off calling it Indiana Jones and the Search for Social Security. (laughs) I mean, that's really what it it felt like. Yeah. You know, it's like I got nothing out of it. Like, I Mm. walked out of there thinking... Oh, okay. Well, let's watch the next episode next week. And it almost, right. It almost felt like it's a serial that left it hanging. Mm, yeah. Like, and it's supposed to be the last one. Right, right. So I think the series would have done so much better had they just not done the last two movies and ended it with Last Crusade. Last Crusade. No, I could totally, totally agree. I would have been perfectly fine with it. But, but to my point, you've got five movies in this series. Mm-hmm. And only two of them are good. Is it really a great series at that point? Mm. I mean, yeah, if you're if you're a baseball player, you know, you're batting two fifty at that point. <laughs> like it's not it's not incredible. I can't get excited about that at this point. And it's it's almost like they're doing a discredit to the franchise. Mm. Like last I mean, Crystal Skull was just abysmal. Well, it's kind of funny if you go to um, Hollywood Studios in Disney and they have the Indiana Jones stunt show, it's all stuff based on Raiders Raiders of the Lost Ark. It's They've never incorporated, with all of these other movies, they've never changed yeah. the script to match where other theme park things, you have you know Pirates of the Caribbean that they made a movie based on the ride, so then they went back and added aspects of the movie yeah. to the ride, and every time a new movie came out, they would change the ride, where here you have something where, nope, this is the only thing yeah. that we've done, and that's that's what we leave it at. It, so It's almost like they made the movie because they couldn't end the franchise on Crystal Skull because it was so bad. So I think it... They thought it would be successful as long as it wasn't as bad as Crystal Skull. And that... And it wasn't. And it wasn't. So I think it's mission accomplished for that. Right. But the movie didn't need to be made. I could... I think it would have been better off if they had done it like a streaming 
yeah. you know, a six six part episode. Yeah. And I that's how that you would have that would have worked you know, just fine. Yeah. So anyway, I wouldn't go and pay for it knowing what I know now. I'd wait for it to come out on streaming. That's just me. And that's and kind of going you know, leading back to where everything was, now you're seeing movies that they're only out in the theater for three months and then they're available to, to stream. So a lot of people... Which is another reason why Disney's losing money on right, streaming. Right, and, that, and that's kind of going back to, you know, so people are like, well, why should I go to the movie theater when I'll be able to yeah. just watch it in my home and I'll be able to pause it and get a drink and a snack and, you know, if something comes up, I can finish the movie tomorrow. I don't have to sit and waste, you know, and, three and again, hours. That's a reflection of mm -hmm. them not knowing what to do with the new technology. Right. And they're basically abusing themselves with this mm -hmm. technology because they don't know how to use it. Right. Right. So I think that was all we had today. Yep. Uh, before we go, I do want to once again invite our listening and viewing audience to subscribe to the podcast. You can find audio versions of this podcast listed as Insights into Entertainment. You can find audio and video versions of all the network's podcasts listed as Insights into Things. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, etc., etc. I would also invite you to write in and give us your feedback. You can email us at comments at insightsintothings.com. You can find us on Twitter at insights underscore things. We do stream five days a week on Twitch at twitch.tv slash insights into things. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash insights into things podcast. We stream five days a week on YouTube at youtube.com slash insights into things. You can find us on Instagram at insights into things. And you can find all that and much more on our official website at www.insightsintothings.com. And that's it. Another one in the books. Have a good week, everyone. Bye. Bye.